would you feel if you were in a wibbly-wobbly canoe going down a rushing, gushing river, headed towards a rickety-stickety bridge, and lining the bridge with a gang of teenage rascals waiting for you with heavy rocks in their hands? Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Practicology Podcast, where we tackle the questions that really matter. Well, Matthew, how would you feel in such a vulnerable situation? Well, I guess I would feel vulnerable. <laughs> uh-huh. And according to space writer Robert Curson, you'd also feel like Americans did one night in 1957 when the Soviet Union launched the first artificial satellite into space, the Sputnik. And maybe you'd also feel like the Ephesians did. I think that's where you're going here. They lived in a world steeped in magic, powerful spirits. Think of the background there in Acts 19. And they used to try keeping on the good side of those gods and supernatural powers, but then they turned their backs on them and believed in Jesus Christ instead. But that didn't change the fact that those unseen powers still operated in the heavenly places. See Ephesians 3.10, for example. That is, these malevolent forces were above them, in a sense. They were over their heads. So maybe it was hard for them to go to sleep some nights, right? I mean, maybe it felt like they were in that wobbly canoe and they were exposed to whatever the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places could drop on them. Right. You mentioned Acts chapter 19 there, Matthew, and that's uh, right where our Assembly Bible study is going through, where Paul is in Ephesus. And let me tell you, it's a pretty scary environment. There's exorcisms, there's evil spirits people trying to add the name of Jesus to their list of power names in order to manipulate the spirit world. In this case, it didn't work. In, in the story in Acts 19, it didn't work. The evil spirit overpowered the men who were playing games with Christ's name, and uh, they had to run for it with no clothes on. The result of this encounter was that many of the believers came, quote, confessing and divulging their practices and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and the total value of all those uh, questionable pieces of literature that were burnt came up to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the point is, they were believers, but they were still very much affected by the reality of the spirit world. Definitely were, and there are lots of places in the world today where the gospel has gone and triumphed wonderfully. We praise the Lord for that, and people have become followers of Christ, and they still, though, continue to struggle with these fears. So this is relevant to them. But my, likely the majority of Christians listening to this podcast right now, they're, they're maybe wondering, uh, this teaching about Christ dominating the spirit, world, the spirit world, how relevant is that to us? Well, you be the judge. Three nights ago, we had a man over for supper. Uh, he, he's a strong, you know, fairly gruff, conservative man. He's not into charismatic stuff and all this. He's never been outside of North America, but he told us of a recent nightmare he had of demons uh, circling above him while he was lying in his bed. And he woke up from the nightmare and he refused to open his eyes. He was actually scared of what he might see. And I mean, he's not the type to, to really go into these sorts of things, but he was scared of what he might see. And so he started to say the name of Christ out loud. And he felt immediately that whatever was scaring him there uh, had left. Yeah, and Christians in our culture are certainly aware that um, talk about those things, whether it's zombies or the spirit world. I mean, that's that's becoming more of a subject in our culture at large as well. So it's it's something that people hear and think about a little bit more. This man that you're talking about, he spoke of Christ. That's an 
that's a, a biblical, it's an excellent strategy to take when we're afraid of the demonic realm. Why don't you do something similar now, Mike, and quote Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 23. This is the last section in our summer August challenge. Yeah, sure. And just to, for context, I'll, I'll maybe back up right to verse 15, Matthew. So so here we go. This is the last part of Ephesians Are you 1. Just, you're just showing off how you really have it all memorized, right? <laughs> That's right. I want to show off. Not at all. I want to show off uh, the greatness of my God in this passage. So here we go. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Thank you. And just remember, listeners, where we left off last time, it was Paul's prayer, one of these prison prayers. And in that prayer, Paul showed us that God wants us to know two things. One, he wants us to know himself. We, we are to know God better. And secondly, God wants us to know how great his salvation is. And he expanded the thought of this salvation, this great salvation, by saying it included three aspects. A hope of his calling, his glorious inheritance in the saints, and then the greatness of his power. And that's where you're picking up now, Mike. Yeah, Paul piles on words to emphasize how great God's power is to us Christians. It's immeasurable greatness of his power. Uh, a power so great it's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ and so on. And now Paul has another way of emphasizing how great this power is. He's not just by piling on power words, but by piling on verses. What I mean is when he spoke earlier of the first two aspects you mentioned, the hope of our salvation, the inheritance we get in salvation, he doesn't elaborate on them. I mean, <laughs> we probably wish he would have. But when it comes to this third aspect, he really takes his time. In other words, it's clear that it's top priority for Paul that we Christians learn just how great God's power is toward us who believe. Yeah, it is interesting. All five verses that we are to memorize this week have to do with this power. So while our, our hope and our inheritance don't even get one full verse each, these five verses all relate to God's power in Christ. God's power that he's worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that becomes the standard, the measurement tool for his power available to us and to be operative in our lives. Yeah, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write it this way. Uh, he, he could have said, you know, I want you to know how great God's power is to you. It's as great as the power in a volcano or in an earthquake or a hurricane or, or it's as great as the power of the sun or something or even it's as great as the power God exerted in creation. But no, those comparisons wouldn't have worked because they're not sufficient examples of how great God's power is to us who believe. There's only one example sufficient. It's the example of when God exerted his awesome power in Christ in raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places note 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So, listeners, fellow believers, was death able to keep Christ down? No. Then it won't be able to keep you down, because the same power God worked in Christ to raise him from the tomb is the power he's worked and is working and will yet work in you and me. And was Satan able to keep Christ in the grave? No, then he won't be able to thwart your resurrection, dear Christian. Was Satan able to prevent Christ's ascension through the heavens? No, you can look back at episode 15 for more on the ascension. Did he not fail miserably in blocking Christ from taking his seat on the throne of God? So, so you see, God wants us to see, to know, the immeasurable greatness of his power to us believers. So let's go back into that canoe we talked about a minute or two ago. Suppose you had a friend with you in the canoe, and he sees how scared you are, and he says to you, hey, you're not looking high enough. And you're thinking, what on earth are you talking about? He says, no, you're not looking high enough. Look above those, those guys on the bridge. And sure enough, you look a little higher, and they have something over their heads. And, I mean, maybe this is starting to become a ridiculous illustration, but... But it's a big, let's say, a military helicopter, and the pilot is barking over the speaker system at them to get off the bridge or he'll gun them down. And that's what Paul is asking the Holy Spirit to do in this prayer. He's asking that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes so we could look higher. Don't just see the evil ruffians above us in the heavenly realms. No, we, we need to look higher because they have something, our evil opponents, they have something over their heads. It's the risen Christ seated in triumph above all rule and authority. That sounds good. For a moment there, I thought you were saying, Mike, that uh, Paul's asking the Holy Spirit to gun these people down. <laughs> well, that would definitely be uh, an imprecatory prayer, I guess. But um, no, that's not what he's asking for in this one. Uh, but, but poor Satan, Matthew. I mean, every time he looks down, he sees a tomb that he failed to keep full. Amen. And when he looks up, all he can see is the soles of the feet of Jesus Christ who is seated far, far above him in the heavenly places on the divine throne. And the trick for us is to see that. Remember, this is what Paul's prayer is all about, that we'd experience the Holy Spirit's working in us to open the eyes of our hearts. But too often, we're like Elisha's servant uh, when they were in Dothan. You can read about it in 2 Kings 6. All he could see was the enemy chariots around them. So Elijah, Elisha has to pray. He says, Lord, open his eyes. Because sure enough, there were enemies all around them. But they were also surrounded by the heavenly horses and chariots of fire by the Lord's army. Sometimes all we can see is the enemy, the setbacks, the opposition, the obstacles. The Holy Spirit wants to open our eyes to see true reality. He wants us to look further out and higher up, all the way up. Don't stop at evil, which often does seem to have the upper hand, look higher. The true state of things is that we're not the ones in the wobbly canoe. Satan is. He's looking up at the underside of Christ's victorious feet. He's reaching for his hard hat. He's feeling exposed and vulnerable. And this is the power God has available to us who believe. It is a power so great that it makes Satan's power and thermal power and nuclear power look like a guy in a pedal boat. This is omnipotent power. And it's good to point out that Paul is referencing a couple of psalms in these verses when he says in verse 20 that God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He's referring to Psalm 110, sit at my right hand. And then in verse 22, 
it says that God has put all things under his feet. And this is a reference to Psalm 8. Both of those Psalms also get referenced in Hebrews, which is interesting. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, those Old Testament references are easy to miss when you're memorizing. And there are three other things that are easy to miss. In fact, they're so obvious that we might not notice them because they're so obvious. So this is how I want to finish, uh, I guess, this series on Ephesians 1 with these three things. So number one, Christianity tilts toward God. In other words, it's very God-centered. Christianity tilts toward God. Both parts of this chapter, the praise section in the first half and the prayer section in the last half, they're all about God. Maybe you've heard the term big God theology. Well, I don't go for everything that, that maybe gets uh, swept under that, that heading, but this is a kind of theology that emphasizes the greatness and grandeur of God, his sovereign power, his transcendence, providence, control, election, predestination, his will, his glory, his grace, his power, and so on. Well, that's what the two halves of this chapter are full of. The praise section begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The prayer section is Paul speaking to the Father of glory, asking that the Holy Spirit would be at work so that we might know God and how great his salvation is, including his infinite power, his omnipotence. So yeah, if you were to confine yourself to Ephesians 1 and ask, you know, on the basis of this chapter, what is Christianity all about? You'd have to conclude that it's very God-centered. It's big God theology. Now, none of that will surprise listeners. You all know the Bible is all about God, most of all. But this next point might surprise you. Number two, not just that Christianity tilts toward God, but the Christian faith also tilts towards us. What do I mean? I mean, it seems that Paul can't talk about any of this big God theology without spelling out how it relates to us, what it does for us. There seems to be an idea uh, among some Christians, I think, that the highest plane of Christian living is to be able to purely consider God without any thought of how he benefits us. That, yeah, it's good to think about his blessings to us, but it's far better to forget all our blessings and just contemplate God, nothing else. In other words, ideally, we'd be able to think about Christ on the cross free from any thought of how his work on the cross benefits ourselves. Well, maybe this is a sign of my low spirituality, but all I can say is look at the Spirit-inspired Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 1. From the beginning to the end of this chapter, Paul is celebrating the godness of God, but at every turn he's drawing out what all this means for us. You can think through the whole chapter and trace it for yourselves. Uh, here I just want to look at the last part of the chapter. It says, remember, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, us who believe. Paul isn't just contemplating the omnipotence of God. He's contemplating the, the omnipotence of God for us. But my favorite example of this is verse 22. This is stunning. It says that he put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So maul over those words again and again. God the Father gave Christ as head over all things to the church. You know what that means? It means Christ didn't just die on the cross for the sake of the church. He also sits on the highest seat in the universe for the sake of the church. God gives his son to us on the cross, and he gives his son to us on the throne. Christ is so disposed to his church in grace that he does everything for her, not just his dying, but also his reigning. 
So this is my point. The Christian faith not only tilts towards God in that it wants to highlight how great and awesome he is, it also tilts towards us in that it's always pointing out to us how God's glories help us and serve us and are for us. In the Bible, the Holy Spirit is constantly making connections between the perfections of God and the needs of his people. So Mike, Paul has just said in verse 22 that God has put all things under Christ's feet. And this phrase comes at the end of a string of phrases, I see, emphasizing how exalted and superior the Lord Jesus is after rising again from the dead. And those of us in the church could start wondering, okay, well, I'm glad our Lord won and that he's so exalted and everything. This is wonderful. I'm relieved that he is where he is. Where does that put us? What's our relationship with him now? Are we also under his feet like his enemies are said to be? But as you're saying, Mike, the Holy Spirit in in these words, he's assuring us that we're not in the same category as Christ's enemies. Yes, Christ does reign over all things, but he does this for us. Yeah, that's a great point, Matthew. And actually, the final verse strengthens what you're saying. It says, he gave him as head over all things for the church, which is his body, the right. fullness of him who fills all in all. So we are the body. I think you took that up in episode 81. We are the body. So yes, we too are subject to him. We, we acknowledge his lordship over us, but we're the body. We're united to him as a body is to the head. So we are under his reign. He's head. But at the very same time, we are one with him. We are his body. How awesome is that? But let's finish with this. Christianity, number one, tilts towards God. Secondly, tilts towards us. But now thirdly and lastly, it tilts towards grace. Brothers and sisters, according to this prayer, what does the Holy Spirit long to do? Notice what Paul doesn't pray in this prayer. He does not pray... Oh God and Father, please cause your Holy Spirit to be at work in these Christian lives so that their eyes will be open to see all their responsibilities there to fulfill and all the jobs they need to work on and all the commitment they should be showing and all the tasks they're supposed to be slaving on and all the money they ought to be giving, all the hours they should be volunteering. No, that's not what he prays. Now, don't hear me wrong. The rest of the letter will make clear that it is very important how Christians live and walk. And, and God cares very deeply how we live in this world. We are, in the words of 4 verse 1, we're to walk worthy of our calling. But the Christian faith tilts towards grace. The Holy Spirit yearns to open our eyes, not to a long and demanding list of action items, but to a long and liberating list of the blessings we have securely in Christ by sheer grace. The Holy Spirit's role is not to point us to ourselves, but to point us to Christ and to our loving Father. He wants us to know God more, to know Christ more intimately. He wants us to enjoy the wonders of the vast salvation God has given us. So just let the rhetorical weight of this passage push against our works-based tendency to construe our relationship with God as being all about what we do. Ephesians chapter 1 consists of a praise section celebrating all our blessings in Christ, followed by a prayer section asking God to help us by the Spirit to enjoy these salvation blessings even more. Amen. And it's as we do enjoy Christ and his salvation more that we will then begin to live for him more and more in devoted service. Mike, I love the the words of the hymn. Uh, I think it's written by Augustus Toplady, if I have that pronounced correctly. 
a debtor to mercy alone it starts and then uh, one of those verses says my name from the palms of his hands eternity will not erase impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace yes i to the end shall endure as sure as the earnest is given more happy but not more secure the souls of the blessed in heaven oh man those last two lines are worth thinking on hey more happy but not more secure the souls of the blessed in heaven we i i guess that's the summary of this episode is the holy spirit wants us to feel very very safe and secure because of god's power to us who who believe well, listeners, enjoy the lines of those hymns. Enjoy these words of Scripture. Thanks for going through Ephesians chapter 1 with us. And we thank you for tuning in today. Remember, God's power is with you to bless you, the same power that is used to raise Christ. And it's with you, students, as you go back to school now shortly. And we're going to think about you in our next episode in particular. But thanks for tuning in today. Yeah, and uh, thanks for participating in the summer challenge here. We're starting to get emails and recordings from people that they've uh, memorized Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, if you're still working on it, there's still time for you. We've chosen uh, September 11th, midnight Central Standard Time as the deadline. So please email info at practicologypodcast.com. Uh, with your uh, declaration of success or a recording or something to let us know and we'll put your name down on the list. Um, Matthew, listeners are going to have to wait a little bit after that to get their t-shirt reward. We, we need to order them once we get everyone's sizes and, and uh, get a little bit of a logo put on them. They look really great though and they're going to be worth waiting for, but we do want you to know that it is going to take a little while before it shows up in your mailbox. Sounds good. I'm sure we will all be patient. In the meantime, we can enjoy our inheritance that we've been learning about in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you all a week from now. God bless everyone. Mm -hmm.